The Crew 6 flight is due to launch the morning this podcast is released, so we thought we'd have a little preview of this mission. Plus, what caught our eye this week in the world of spaceflight? What's caught your eye this week? You can let us know via our social media pages at Space and Things 1 on Twitter and at Space and Things Podcast on Instagram and Facebook or via the contact form on our website. And don't forget to consider joining us over at Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash space and things. But right now, enjoy episode 131 of the Space and Things Podcast. Listening to Space and Things with Dave Giles and Emily Carney. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles, and welcome to episode 131 of the Space and Things podcast. How are you doing, Emily? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, I'm kind of under the weather today, but other than that, I'm in good spirits, though. Like, <laughs> you know, is yeah, what absolutely. it is. Hey, great article this week on your blog. Really loved that one. Thank you. Yeah, um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about it on this podcast. I I just read this awesome book, and I was really kind of inspired by it. And it kind of ties into the Artemis episode we did a few weeks back, where we talked about, you know, do we think Artemis can really change the world, right? Yeah. And it got me to thinking, well, is it possible for equality in spaceflight to change nations? Like, is it possible for that? So it got me thinking about that. You know, because um, I also brought in, you know, the fact that Saudi Arabia, and we've talked about this in a previous episode, is sending women to space. And, you know, Saudi Arabia does not have the best record when it comes to women's rights. And the fact that they're doing this is is pretty, like, I think is, is pretty surprising. It's very bold, and I'm all for it. But the Soviets sent one woman to space in the 60s, and then that was it. Yeah. It's not that I don't trust Saudi Arabia. It's just I know their record hasn't been great on that. And I hope this isn't just a, you know, we're going to do it this one time just to say we did it. Yeah, that's really important, isn't it? It's really important that we don't let them off the hook. Oh, they've sent a woman to space. Therefore, they're all fine and dandy. You know, it's that that thing, isn't it? Yeah, you know, oh, they must support equal rights because they sent one woman up. And it's like, eh, not really. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the book that, kind of inspired that piece maybe later in the episode because I, I it was one of the things I definitely uh, noticed this week in spaceflight. It's really cool. Well, we'll talk about that later. And I've got a couple of other things I just want to bring up. They're kind of, uh, actually, they tie in nicely with this. So Gillian Cassie, who's one of our uh, patrons, she sent us a message about our episode last week, our Soviets in Space episode. She sent an article on Korolev to remind me he is, of course, Ukrainian. And now, of course, it was Soviets in space and Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union at that point. Gillian has sent me this really good post, which is on Tumblr, which isn't a website I enjoy, but this was a good <laughs> post. And it's about the fact that Korolev, when he was filling out his forms to go to the Kiev Polytechnic Institute in 1906, he listed his nationality as Ukrainian and underlined it so it was obviously something he was very proud of but well that's my inference from that but after his time in a soviet prison camp the forms he filled in all said that he was russian and the article didn't show any other examples of this happening to other people but it claims that the soviet union did a job of trying to make other nationalities like ukrainians forget 
that they were anything other than Russian, yeah. using torture and other horrible means. I'll post a link to this page in the show notes alongside Emily's article that we discussed because I think if this was more widespread, it does tie this bit of history with what we are seeing happen now. It also yeah. backs up the point I made last week that although we want to celebrate the Soviet Union's technical achievements, within, especially within spaceflight, it's important to put that alongside the human rights abuse and other bad things which the state did to the people living in that land. So thank you, Virgilian, for sending this to us. I found it really fascinating, so thank you very much. I also want to give a shout-out to Carl, who has been sending us video responses to things we talk about in the podcast, which I am a huge fan of. We ask you every week to get in touch with your thoughts about what we said. And I really enjoy reading all the emails and comments we get, but Carl's video replies have really been a wonderful way for me to hear someone's full thought process in a way that you don't always get from written text alone. Do you agree, Emily? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's 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 kind of neat. I like people to interact with us and to tell us what they think about the show and kind of riff on it. So, yep, absolutely. It's, it was really nice. Anyway, let's crack on. SpaceX Dragon, we're go for launch. Let's light this candle. Right, of course, whenever we do this kind of thing, there's normally a scrub, but we still think it's worth doing. <laughs> so <laughs> The last one scrubbed. Uh, I went to the fishing pier. and yeah, Oh, Mon- was it Monday and, night or Tuesday night or whatever it was? Yeah. Sunday night. I actually went out to see it. I'll probably go. Uh, I'm kind of under the, under the weather today, but I, I'm probably going to go out anyway and go go try to see it. Absolutely. Uh, tonight, this morning. Yeah. Go on, Bo. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so as Emily said at the top of the show, the, uh, the morning this podcast is published is the 2nd of March, and the Crew 6 mission is scheduled to take off from Launch Complex 39A at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. So the SpaceX Dragon capsule called Endeavour will be on its fourth flight on top of a Falcon 9 rocket and will take four astronauts to the International Space Station. So why is it called Crew 6? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's the sixth time (laughs) SpaceX will take astronauts to the International Space Station in a Dragon capsule as part of the commercial crew program. It's actually going to be SpaceX's ninth crew mission. The first was the Demo 2 launch back in 2020, and then we have Inspiration 4 and Axiom 1, which also went to the space station, uh, to complete the nine as well as these commercial crew program launches. Some other fun facts about this mission. It's SpaceX's 14th mission of 2023, which is crazy that they've racked up those numbers already. It's the 29th orbital launch attempt globally of 2023. It's the 207th Falcon 9 launch. And if successful, will be the 175th booster landing. And it's also the 62nd SpaceX launch from Launchpad 39A at the Kennedy Space Center, which, of course, is famous for where most of the Apollo missions launched from and the first space shuttle, etc., etc. So we have a crew of four on board the Crew-6 mission, which is scheduled to last 180 days. Uh, the commander is NASA astronaut Stephen Bowen. The pilot is NASA astronaut Warren Hoberg, and there are two mission specialists, United Arab Emirates astronaut Sultan Al-Nayadi, I think that's how you say it, and Roscosmos cosmonaut Andre Fedyev. So, Commander Bowen is 59 years old and has three prior space flights on board the space shuttle STS-126, 132, and 133. During his last two missions, he became the first NASA astronaut to be launched on two consecutive missions, which is pretty cool. 
I think I saw him launch during those two. Nice. Yep. He was selected as an astronaut in July 2000 as part of NASA's Astronaut Group 18 and was the first Submariner officer selected by NASA. He currently has 40 days in space and seven spacewalks. However, this is his first time in command. And this will be Warren Woody Hoberg's first trip to space. I really hope they just call him Woody throughout. Yeah, I'd love that. right. So the 37-year-old was selected to be an astronaut in 2017. He's a as, baby. Yeah. Well, he's my age, which I find quite fun because there's not many times I've been alive when the person who's launching has been the same age as me. So also, I guess that means I'm, I'm getting to that point where I'm definitely almost past the chance of becoming a NASA astronaut. Anyway. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm so sad because I'm 45. I'm like, it hasn't happened yet. Well, yeah, you're in the prime age, aren't you? <laughs> to do it. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Yeah. So he was selected in 2017 <laughs> as part of NASA's astronaut group 22. And in 2020 was named as one of the 18 astronauts selected as part of the Artemis program. Although it's since been announced that all the current astronauts qualified to be part of that program. Anyway, Hoberg was a product developer at Boeing, I'm going to say that again. Woody was a product developer at (laughs) Boeing and an assistant professor at MIT before he joined NASA. This is the first flight for 41-year-old Sultan Al-Nayadi, who will become the second from the UAE to go to space following Haza Al-Mansouri, who flew in 2019 on the Soyuz MS-15 mission. The two were chosen from 4,022 candidates to be selected to be the first Emirate astronauts in 2018. This, however, is the first long-duration mission for someone from the Arab world. His selection on this mission is a complicated story. In 2021, there was an agreement between NASA and Axiom Space to fly astronaut Mark Vandehei aboard the Soyuz MS-18 mission, returning on the Soyuz MS-19 flight. Axiom, as part of this, got the rights to one of the NASA-owned seats on the Crew-6 mission, and Axiom then sold the seat onto the United Arab Emirates Space Agency. Yeah, that is confusing. But yes, I think I follow. it is very confusing. It is very confusing, but I think I get it. Yeah. Um, it's also the first space flight of 42-year-old cosmonaut Andre Fediev. No, this can't be right. Andre Fediev? Fed- How did you say it earlier, Emily? Fed- I think I said Fediev. 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 Probably we'll something that. like that. Andre Fedev. Uh, I'm leaving all of that in for Todd, who said he's really missed us trying to pronounce names in the news <laughs> section. So, uh, yeah, sorry, Andre, for a- absolutely ruining your name there. He becomes the second cosmonaut to fly on board a SpaceX Dragon capsule as part of a recent crew swap agreement. He was selected as a cosmonaut in 2012 following a career in the Russian Air Force, where he logged over 500 hours in Russian aircraft. The crew swap agreement between the US and Russia in 2022 may have seemed odd given all that's going on in the world, but it's proof that the two countries' space programs are continuing to work well together. So the logic behind the swap is that it will ensure that both countries can maintain a presence on the station if either the Soyuz or the commercial crew vehicles are grounded for an extended period of time. So cosmonaut Anna Kikina flew on the Crew-5 mission with astronaut Frank Rubio flying on the MS-22 Soyuz mission, although that spacecraft was damaged by a meteorite impact. So the uncrewed MS-23 Soyuz spacecraft launched last week to bring back the MS-22 crew on completion of their mission later this year. 
So once Crew-6 has arrived at the space station, the Crew-5 mission will head back to Earth with its crew of Commander Nicole Mann, Pilot Josh Kasada, and the mission specialist Koichi Wakata of JAXA and cosmonaut Anna Kakina, which will mark the end of Expedition 68 on the ISS and begin Expedition 69. While the Crew-6 mission is on board as part of Expedition 69, they'll also be joined by uh, Barry Wilmore and Sunita Williams, currently scheduled in April as the first crewed launch of Boeing Starliner spacecraft. Yeah, it's a busy time up there. I think it's easy to forget that it's all happening, outside, out of mind kind of thing. Over 20 years of humans living on the ISS, which is such a ridiculously huge achievement, and... Now we're starting Expedition 69 with every expedition full of science investigations and technology demonstrations, a whole load of maintenance work as well. Yeah, all the spacewalks that have to be done on board it. It's just, it's a lot, you know, but um, I think it's really cool because I feel like we're starting to sort of see the promise of commercial crew yeah. as well, because now we're seeing, okay, we've got the Dragon Going to the ISS, uh, pretty soon we'll have the Starliner. Obviously, they still have the, you know, Soyuz. I, I think it's really kind of cool also that, you know, the the ISS has been around for, God, almost 25 years. I mean, really, because the, the main core of it was launched in 1998. So that's been, God, that's been 25 years this year, yeah. which is crazy to me. But I think it's cool because I'm just thinking about it. It's seen so many different crewed spacecraft docked to it i mean it's seen the space shuttle <laughs> you know real old school technology it's seen soyuz very old school technology very old school <laughs> yeah i mean it works most yeah. of the time but i think that's really kind of neat that it's seen so many different spaceships and also different cargo vessels as well yeah, yeah. we see the cargo dragon we see progress from russia and we also have seen uh, JAXA had a spacecraft go up there for logistics. Cygnus. Yeah, the C Cygnus. Also, the Europeans had um, their spacecraft for logistics as well. The ESA had a spacecraft that used to go up there. Just really cool. I think about all the different spacecraft it's seen as well, and I'm like, wow, it's just been a very versatile space station over the last, God, 25 years or so. That It's just nuts, and it's still going and we're going to see more people on it as part of Axiom Space. I mean, I, we uh, talked about it, I think, last week with the with the crew uh, led by uh, Peggy Whitson, who's been to the ISS. Yeah. But still, I mean, now she's going as like sort of a private astronaut, which is really cool. We're going to see more different types of missions going to the ISS. So I'm kind of sad because I know that there's going to come a time where the ISS is going to have to come down. Man, I don't want to see that. Like, I just don't want to. I know it's old, and eventually it's going to get to the point where it's it has to come down. But I'm like, man, I feel like we take it for granted that it's in, it's up there, you know? Because, you know, every so often I'll go outside and I'll just watch it pass over. Like, oh, yeah, that's, that's the ISS. Like, you yeah. know, <laughs> as one does. Just, you know, just a big, big space station up there. And, and there's going to come a time where we're not going to be able to see that anymore. Just so many years of innovation and doing really awesome stuff in space. I think it's really cool. You talked about this a little earlier. The what is thirty seven? He's basically I hate I hate this term so damn much. Basically, like a millennial, as people would. 
don't know. He would have been 12 years old when the ISS first went up there. Yeah. He's grown up with it, and now he's going on it. Exactly, exactly. Like, um, it's really cool seeing people that are closer to, well, I wouldn't say even my age, because I'm in my mid-40s, so I'm a little old. I'm more Gen X than his generation, but it's really cool seeing people who kind of came of age with the ISS getting the opportunity to go there. And I think it underscores the fact that spaceflight really is generational. Like, okay, this is obviously not a re- like this is fictionalized, but for all mankind has shown, you know, different generations going mm-hmm. to space, right? You know, mm-hmm. and it starts with Apollo and it now they're into whatever horrible crap they're going to do to us next season and um, on Mars. But seriously, though, I think the ISS does show in the space shuttle prior to it showed that spaceflight really is something that's generational because you started with people who had flown to Korea on the space shuttle in the Korean War, and then you ended it with people who were born in, you know, the 60s and 70s. So, really, that's a big jump in generation. So, it's just something I think about. Also, I wonder, you know, what's next? What's it going to be like with Artemis? Is You know, is it going to have the same sort of generational flavor where 30 years from now we see people from or 20 years from now we see people from my niece and nephew's generation up there walking on the moon that would be cool well there's there's other other facets to that as well isn't it we know that nasa has encouraged commercial enterprise and we know it's happening to take the commercial crew stage to the next level in terms of space stations and we're going to start seeing commercial space stations Maybe within the next few years, but certainly the plan is to have a decent sized one up there by the end of the life of the International Space Station. Now, similar to commercial crew happening much later than than planned after the space shuttle, maybe it won't be as seamless as that, but there's going to be a lot more low Earth orbit destinations as well, and I think that's really interesting. And I think the fact that they're within this year, you're going to have two commercial crewed vehicles going to the International Space Station kind of underpins that. Look, when, when when the ISS started, those two spacecraft weren't born. They weren't around. They, were, they may not even have been sketches on pieces of paper. And yet there they are servicing the space station with astronauts, which is crazy. And, and, and that will go forward. Also, the fact that we have three crude-rated vehicles that can well, nearly, can be going to the ISS is really good in terms of a safety aspect. You know, as we've seen with the fact that uh, the Soyuz had problems and yes, they were able to get an empty one up there uh, to bring bring that crew home. But knowing that we've got more spacecraft on the ground that can go up and potentially perform a rescue is really useful in my mind. It, it, it makes the idea of going to a space station and a commercial space station in future a little bit more safe. I, I, not that it's ever safe, but a little bit more, yeah. you know, like there's a redundancy there. Like, like exactly. hopefully they're all talking to each other and saying, hey, we can help each other out here if we're ever stuck. And, and I'd like to think those conversations are going on. Exactly. I agree. I like the fact that there's several vehicles now, you know, just, like you said, nothing's ever 100% safe in space flight, but something happened and they had to get out of there. They'd have some kind of way to get home. I don't know. It'll be really cool, I think, to see what commercial space stations will look like as well. I see like different designs and people, you know, have put out for them and 
I don't think they'll necessarily look like the International Space Station because the ISS is it was synthesized in probably the you know 80s and 90s so it's it's modular and it was put together in pieces and stuff whereas oh god I'm gonna get bleeped out Skylab was one piece just one piece they launched it in one swoop I mean most of it arrived in space <laughs> yeah it went well <laughs> most of it most of it showed up in space some of it didn't but still I'm just wondering what space stations of the future what that'll look like we may go back to having one piece or an inflatable piece or who knows they might make it a little more user-friendly for non-career astronauts who knows because I think we're gonna see more of that you know we're gonna Obviously, we're going to have the career astronauts. We're going to have the NASA people, you know, that I don't think that's ever going to go away. But we're probably going to start seeing more, hopefully, regular people with a vested interest in space flight going to space. So I just wonder what that's going to look like in the future. We'll see. We'll see. So going back to Crew 6, well, kind of going back to Crew 6, but also let's think about this. Crew 1 was November 2020, right? So that's when we started the podcast, just a couple of months after that. How are we already on Crew 6? <laughs> I know. I was thinking about that the other day because I was trying to... I, I think I was trying to go to sleep or something. It was nighttime. I was trying to do the math in my head, like, how do we get this? That's a lot. I mean, yeah. that's really... The space shuttle did not fly that many people in, like, two years. No way. Maybe in 1985, but that was about it. yeah. Maybe in 85, exactly. Like, the space shuttle in the first two years of its operation did not fly that many people. So this, to me, is pretty amazing. It really is fulfilling the promise that there's now nine crewed flights uh, from SpaceX. And the first, only one of them happened before we started this podcast. And it doesn't feel, you know, we've not done three years yet. It's not just the fact you've got the commercial crew ones. The fact you've had Axiom 1 and Inspiration 4 is also... Really interesting. I mean, that's the promise of the space shuttle. That was what, what we were promised way back in the 70s for what yeah. the space shuttle was supposed to do. And and here it is happening now. And it's taken our time to get there, but we are here now. And I think that's really interesting. I hate saying this because I love space planes. I think space planes are cool. I like looking at them. I like reading about them. But they're very complex. Space shuttle was extremely complex. And capsules, oh, I hate that word, but... Spacecraft that are like capsules are just, they have an escape tower. They're just easier. Not to say that SpaceX has an easy job at all. Not saying that, but I feel like when you keep it simple, it's just easier to get back up and down, up and down, up and down. Whereas Space Shuttle was, it was sold on something completely different from what it was. (laughs) You know, because they were selling it like, oh, this is going to be like an airline. Not not really an airline with, you know, a lot of... (laughs) a lot of complexity and a lot of computers and a lot of tiles and a lot of stuff that could go wrong. You know, whereas I feel like a capsule, it's just, I wouldn't say safer because like we said earlier, spaceflight is not a hundred percent safe. It never will be. Unfortunately, I think it's going to be experimental for a long time, but I think the capsule design is, is it's kind of tried and true. You know, it, it worked in the sixties, and yeah. it works now. You Although, know? <laughs> it, it, interestingly, the, the the Dragon, SpaceX Dragon capsule is the first reusable capsule. Yeah. yeah actually, that can't be easy because otherwise it would have been done before. Uh, so the fact that they've yeah. been able to do that and turn it around quick, this is the fourth 
mission of Endeavour. They did Demo 2, Crew 2, and now and Axiom 1, and now Crew 6. So they're proving the technology that, that, that they've built. And it just bodes well for the future, doesn't it, that we've got this happening right now. And, and to the point where already we're not seeing as much rec- reporting of what's happening in the crew program in the press beyond the, the space press, right? Like when, when Demo 2 happened, when Crew 1 happened, they were big news on BBC, for example, even even over here. Seen nothing about Crew 6. I'm sure there'll be a side yeah. article somewhere, but it's just not getting talked about, which does scare me a little bit that it's becoming routine and boring and all that kind of stuff. The moment that starts getting banded around, you know, the trouble's always around the corner when that starts happening. But yeah. I think it's at least showing how quickly things are moving and, and how good this technology has proven to be so far. Long may it continue, obviously. With that said, though, Emily, and this ties in to your article that we okay. mentioned earlier, and many times we've spoken about this kind of thing, and I'm going to sound like a broken record, and there's going to be people listening going, oh, here he goes again on his soapbox. It's an all-male crew. and Yeah, yeah. So far, of these nine missions, the Axiom 1 was also a, a, an all-male crew. And then this one and Demo 2, although it was only two of them, they were both men. We've ha- only had th- two, maybe three flights where there's been 50-50, and there's never been more females than men on any of these flights. Yeah. And it's not like there's not enough female astronauts at NASA now, because as we mentioned what a couple of weeks ago, it's 40 40-odd percent of the astronauts are now female. Yeah. yeah. Active astronauts are now female. And I understand that with this one, NASA haven't got all four seats. They've given one to the Russians, and they wouldn't didn't necessarily get to pick who that was. And one went to the United Arab Emirates via Axiom and so on and so forth. But if I was NASA in that scenario, knowing that we might have, likely would have men guest mission specialists on that, why not put two females on it? We've only had one female commander so far of the Dragon Capsule, which is Nicole Mann. I just think, why? Why are we not there yet? Where we talk about commercial crew delivering what the space shuttle was supposed to deliver in many ways. In many ways, we're still stuck back in those times in it not oh, yeah. being right. And, and we've still got a long way to go. And that I find frustrating. I do find it frustrating. And listeners, you may be getting bored with me saying it, but if we don't keep saying it, it's not going to change. If we don't keep talking about it, it's not going to change. Uh, and if I was one of the, the female astronauts at NASA right now, I'd be pulling my hair out. I'd be walking into the head of the office saying, what's going on? What is going yeah, on? Yeah, and it's Women's History Month. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's crazy, and and that's frustrating. Like, so yes, again, it's similar to what you talked about with the Saudi stuff earlier. Now, obviously, I'm not saying, and I don't believe that the US or the UK have human rights issues in the same league as what's happening in Saudi Arabia, and women are obviously treated a lot better in our countries, but. If you're going to pick all these female astronauts as astronauts and then not select them for crews, why are they there? What are we doing? Why are we not making these steps forward yet? And it's yeah. frustrating. Well, my fear also and is I think there's going to come a point where the astronaut core is such that there's going to be an all-woman crew or there's going to be a predominantly woman crew, right? 
Yeah. And then people are going to say, well, it's a stunt. It's just to make them feel better. And it's like, really? Come on. But but that's why we've got to get it out of the way and just normalize it as well. Let there be three or four exactly. in a row where it's more predominantly women. and just Let, let there that... be a bunch of stunts. Yeah, exactly. That's how I and look it... at it. Just let it happen. And then it's not a stunt anymore. Then it's just like, okay, this is now normal. Sometimes it's more women. Sometimes it's more men. Sometimes it's 50-50. And it's not because any of the women aren't qualified to do it. They wouldn't have got there if they weren't qualified. So this tokenism of, oh, here's a seat on a one seat. Oh, every now and then you've got two seats. It's just pathetic. Just make it happen. Yeah. I feel like we're still sort of in 1984. Yeah. Because in 1984, that was the year that, you know, two women flew on the shuttle for the first time. And that was kind of a big, at the time, that was like, oh my God, two women on the same spacecraft. Are they going to kill each other? You know, just dumb <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just stupid stuff, you know, and, you know, stupid crap people would say. And I feel like things really haven't progressed much further than that to be honest i really don't so yeah there definitely needs to be better representation on these space flights and the thing is we don't want women don't want lip service we just want to see it happen yeah we don't want to be you know lied to and (laughs) oh yeah we're all about equality and then we just don't see it you know we don't want to be lied to about it this isn't criticism of Woody and the other men on this flight. Sorry, I just love the fact his nickname's Woody. But it's not criticizing. I'm not saying any of them aren't qualified. But when you're picking astronaut candidates in a 50-50 field and then you're presenting a crew like this, again, what is going wrong with the system? Try to make an effort. I totally agree. It's just, when I saw it, I was like, oh, God, brilliant. It's just frustrating. And maybe it shouldn't get me down as much as it does, but it does. No, I, I agree. It does bother me. It does. With that said, I do wish this every success, obviously. I don't don't want it to not go well. Yeah, same here. Anyway, there's another story I want to talk about with regards to Crew 6, which is a much more positive take. So let's end on this story. Sultan Ainayadi will be in space for the whole of Ramadan. Now, I don't think he's the first Muslim to be in space during Ramadan. And obviously... Muslims are told that when they're traveling, they don't have to fast. It's not essential. But obviously, a Muslim, a devout Muslim, will want to try to if they can. And now Niyadi has told reporters that he may need to keep that relatively consistent meal schedule because obviously, when you're on a space station, things are very different and things are busy. And you yeah. don't want to put any, do anything that can jeopardize the mission or put anyone else at risk or put your health at risk or put your health at risk exactly because you put your health at risk that puts a mission at risk other people then have to cover or things can happen but he has said that he may try and fast on some days but he'll see how it goes and i just think that's pretty cool so ramadan this year is from march 22nd to april 23rd um it's all dependent on sightings of the crescent moon so i'm not sure how that that will work on the space station either and also muslims are required to fast from dawn to sunset which when you're on the space station is every 90 minutes. So maybe that makes it slightly easier. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> it's certainly yeah. interesting. It's, it's it's another one of those added dimensions. So as we open up space and we get more diversity up there, these kind of questions we need to be asked and, and how everyone respects that and, and makes that happen or not happen certainly needs to be part of the conversation going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, I think we've, Done enough of a preview of Crew 6, our own version of that. So let's move on. Houston, Skylab 2, we fix anything. we got a 
So, Emily, what has caught your eye in spaceflight since last week? Yeah, well, I devoted uh, some of the article I wrote on Medium and for the NSS blog about this. I just read the book, uh, The New Guys by Meredith Bagby, and I love it. Uh, I think it's excellent. I was really impressed. She did a lot of really awesome research, did a lot of interviews, too, with a lot of the main people from The New Guys astronaut class, which was hired 45 years ago, which is crazy, unbelievable, in 1978, and it was the first diverse class at NASA. It was the first class to have women, African-Americans, and one Asian-American and it really just set the template for the rest of astronaut classes afterwards. This was a very well-qualified group, and they did amazing stuff in spaceflight in the 1980s during the space shuttle and way beyond that. I hate saying this. The ones who are still alive remain uh, amazing ambassadors of spaceflight. Uh, we've had Mike Mullane, mm. who was a member of that class several times on Space and Things, and he's still uh, going strong I think he's 77 and he's climbing mountains still, which just blows my mind. I, I, some days I feel like I can't even climb the couch. <laughs> so I'm very impressed. But um, yeah, it's just an amazing book. Uh, I, I got it last week uh, and I, I think I finished it in two days and I just love it. it it's really awesome. It's not always the hap. I do have to give sort of a trigger warning. Uh, it does discuss Challenger and kind of um, graphic terms. It's not tasteless. It just describes what happened. It's necessary to talk about it to tell the story of that group, unfortunately, because that was the big tragedy. Three of the class were on the Challenger. Yeah, wiped out part of their class, you know, which is horrible, and it has to be addressed. So it is really a good book. It, It follows members of the class from the time they're selected to basically the end of the shuttle program and beyond. So wow. it's really great. I really love it. And uh, I highly recommend it. Yeah. That's what I noticed this week. Excellent. And what about you, Dave? What have you been looking at? Well, two things. Firstly, at the California Science Center in Los Angeles, the Space Shuttle Endeavor has opened one of its payload doors for the first time in years. And our friend Lois Honeycutt happened to be there on the day that it happened and got some great photos of it. The shuttle has been on display there since I think 2013 or 14. And the museum has been fundraising to build a brand new exhibit for the shuttle for which they broke ground last year. It's currently sitting in a hangar as if it was parked up after landing, but they're going to mate it to an external fuel tank and two solid rocket boosters and set it up in launch configuration. It's going to be quite something to see when it happens. However, one of the payload doors will be open in this display, unlike it would be at launch, to show what it would have looked like inside pre-launch with a payload within the bay. I think they're going to set it up so it will look like it would have done on its final mission. So they've opened a payload door this week to install the robot arm, which will be on display when it gets moved into its new home. As I said, the ground was broken for this exhibit building last year, and they originally said it would take about three years to complete. I imagine that it will mean that soon we won't be able to visit Endeavour while they get that finished up and move it into the new building. But... The moment they announce the opening day, I'm booking flights. I think this is going to be incredible. Yeah, I, I, they're not going to do this and stuff, and I don't expect it. But for a nerd, but if they they set it up to look like Slick Six at Vandenberg, like we're going to do some classified stuff, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that, but I'm that, a loser, so I'd probably be the only person who'd think that was cool. I don't know. 
I just like looking at pictures of a uh, Enterprise at Vandenberg because it looks so like it's top secret. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm a but I'm a loser. I love that kind of stuff. But seriously though, I've been following that and um for a while, and I can't wait to see that. Like I yeah, same thing. When that goes live, I want to be one of the first people to see that because it's going to be exquisite. And I'll admit, I never got to see a shuttle on the pad. I saw a bunch of shuttle launches from a distance, but I never got to see it like on the launch pad itself. Yeah, being up close to it will be amazing. Yeah. Standing underneath it, looking up, going, oh my God, it's ready to go, will just be amazing. Exactly. See, that would be awesome. And I never got to see that. You know, I've seen other launch vehicles, but not that. So that would be freaking awesome. And I think the space shuttle was just... Yeah, it was just seeing that on the pad must have been like, wow, like you probably get a lump in your throat just because there's just so beautiful. So, yeah, absolutely. I cannot wait till that happens. Yeah. On a more astronomical, astronomical, I can never say that word. (laughs) On a more astronomical note, I did love the images uh, that the solar orbiter picked up of Mercury uh, going across the sun this week. If you haven't seen them, I'll put a link in the show notes. Really cool. So definitely check that out as well. Thanks for listening this week. Just a short, fairly short episode, but we've got some amazing interviews lined up for the rest of this month and into April. So plenty to look forward to. I'll be posting our list of up and coming confirmed guests in our Patreon account this week. Be sure to sign up if you're willing and able. It really does help us out massively and it means that we can continue to do this for as long as possible. So head over to patreon.com forward slash space and things or if you'd like to support what we do financially without signing up, you can donate to us directly via our website or purchase some merchandise there too, which is spaceandthingspodcast.com. Thanks to all who continue to do that and to those who have been spreading the word too. Anytime you recommend the podcast to one of your spaceflight loving friends, we get a little boost, so we appreciate that. But don't forget, in space, no one can hear you me. Space and Things has been brought to you by And Things Productions.